Shafee? Shafee, are you there? I can smell the sea air. The rest of my time I'm going to spend in the sea. And when I die, I'm going to die on the sea. You know what I shall die of? I shall die of eating an unwashed grape one day out on the ocean. I will die with my hand in the hand of some nice-looking ship's doctor, a very young one with a small blonde mustache and a big silver watch. Poor lady, they'll say, the Kedine did her no good. That unwashed grape has transported her soul to heaven. A harvest yellow crescent moon sets over the backyard behind Matthew's house on Matthew's patio in the hill country in Austin, Texas. And we are sitting here, we are, gotta tell you, we're kind of enjoying the warm weather, you know, we've been complaining about it all summer, but it's warm now and I'm trying to, trying to sit here and appreciate it. You know why? Because in just a few hours, the wind's going to shift and a genuine cold front is gonna come through. Tomorrow night is going to be in the 50s, which isn't a... Uh, listen, listen. I ain't busting out the jeans anytime soon. But it is going to be a little chilly and summer's going to be over. And I'm feeling that, that feeling you feel when one thing is over and a new thing is beginning. Uh, it's, it's a feeling of an excitement and feeling of wistfulness and a feeling of the the endless rolling of life that happens. And you know what else indicates, is a good indicator of the rolling of life? The uh, the show number. Show number 150, folks. A, uh, a century and a half of one magical hours have been stacking up and we're really excited to be here with you. Uh, we uh, Matthew's Matthew's uh, local possum has joined us in the backyard for this very special 150th episode. We're full of classic segments tonight. We got your Matthew, have you ever wondered? We got your discussion of music from the 90s that no one cares about except for Schaefer and Matthew. We got, uh, I think we've got a real word shop and a Matthew, have you ever wondered, which is exciting. Uh, we'll have some poetry for you. We'll give some shout-outs to our friends, and we will talk to the Montserrat Mystiquer and the Martinique Magnifiquer, the pride of Tarzana, California, Matthew Rampy. Keep smiling, keep talking, knowing you can always record me for sure. That's what podcasts are for, for good times 
and worst times, I'll be on your cast forevermore. Oh, I tell you, that's what podcasts are for. That's what podcasts are for. Is it? I mean, ride or die, buddy. I always kind of wondered what ride podcasts are for. Ride or die. <laughs> podcasts are, you know, just another thing that brings us together. Like war and football. Yeah. And talking about stuff by the water cooler. Yep. Is this podcast our version of the water cooler? I think that this is at least water cooler adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> I know that a lot of these topics would come up at uh, a water cooler. Yeah. And, 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 an imaginary an, water cooler in an imaginary office in an imaginary past <laughs> that I once lived. Especially if a nerd like me was hanging around that water cooler. Like, oh, I learned a word yesterday that I didn't know before. I was reading my sci-fi book, and I learned a new word. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> we actually have a water cooler at Blue Sky, yeah. um, but usually it's I'm alone in the office when I fill up my water bottles. I have I have a watering hole, and people stop by there all the time and listen to me run my yip. You got it worked out. Right? <laughs> yeah. You got it really buttoned up. I found a way from worked out. I found a, I found a way to have a permanent audience for myself at all Man, times. Man, that's smart. For whatever whatever. That's smart except on those days when you don't really feel whatever like talking. performance I'm shilling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Man, it's difficult, right? And those days happen. Yeah. And you do your best. But there's times, man, Matthew, as you know, and and most of you out there in One Magical Nation know this too. If I don't like you, it shows all over every inch of my body. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I sometimes feel bad for customers because I'm like, well, can't you just remove you're your... not going to win this war. Can't you just remove yourself from the situation at that point? Mostly I can, yeah. Now, like, I don't find myself working alone very often anymore, mm-hmm. which is probably best for everyone. Yeah. you got that layer of somebody else in front of you. <laughs> yeah. That's smart. But the good thing is I do pretty much like everybody, which, I mean, that makes it even worse for the rare person that I don't like. I mean, right. they must really suck. Yeah. But. yeah. You're like chummy with everybody else in the bar. <laughs> and there's this one person that you're just like giving the cold shoulder to. Oh, and they just, they know it, you know, <sighs> and there are people who just like, they love the bar so much that they keep coming back. Even though I'm like, Oh, hello. It's you. <laughs> Wow. I don't think I've actually been there when that's happened. I mean, I have been at the bar where I feel like you're not really now, yeah, fe- feeling convivial. Yeah, there's days like that, and that's, you know. That, that's natural. I, and I've, I've visited you in other bars that you've worked at, too. And, you know, like, it's your job. And people are there. Like, especially when I would come see you in New York or Houston, like, I'm on vacation. I'm ready to party. And you're like, this is my place of business. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of other bars I've bartended with, you know, uh, in the past month, a few regulars from the front page have gone up to New York. To the Four Face yeah. and And they've mentioned your name? Yeah, sorry, every, every sorry. time, you know, every time they go, they would 
you know, because we make a pretty big deal about the four face liar at the front page. You know, oh. we've got pictures of regulars up on the wall. I see, and we make a big deal about you know being from New York. And it's like it's a, kind of part of our. It's like your sister bar. Yeah, and it's kind of part of our history. You know. Yep. Of how the front page was born mm-hmm. was from you know Porter and I working together at this Irish bar in New York City, and so people you know ask us if they're going to New York City, oh where should we go? And we definitely tell them always, you always got to stop by the Four Face Liar. But it's funny because it's getting to be where I think Marco Lopez and, well, and uh, the Staten Island Cannonball, uh, John DiStefano. Uh, <laughs> they came to Austin? No, they, oh, neither of them have ever been here. But they're, they're the only folks left. There's a bunch of people working at the Four Face Liar now who don't know Porter and Shaver. I see. Have never met us in their lives. I mean, a decade has passed. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's very heartwarming. Uh, one of our yeah, one of our regulars said he went up there just a couple of weeks ago, and he said, apparently, he introduced him to the bartender. He says, "I'm from Texas. I'm from Austin, Texas. Do you know?" And the guy said, "Shaver Hall." <laughs> He's like. No, I don't know him, <laughs> or whatever. Maybe, like I said, yeah, I've met him once or twice, or whatever. But there's definitely, <laughs> definitely so people like, are sick of, sick of hearing <laughs> your name dropped. In no, there. I don't know this guy. I don't care that you know him. There's no Schaefer <laughs> Hall discount here. So that's, that's funny. funny. But um, then you know, then like some regulars, like, oh, I know Schaefer Hall. Let me tell you about the time that. <laughs> Right. He took his pants off behind the bar or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, it's not an uncommon tale. And then, uh, yeah. There might be corroborating pictures. Did we ever tell the story of the Christmas miracle here? Uh, with Jeremy Manta, my brother. My brother used to come up for a while there in college and then in law school. My brother would come up for three weeks every summer when he was on summer break and for two weeks every winter when he was on winter break. Okay. And we would do Christmas up there, Oh, you know? Yeah. Sometimes my mom would come join us. Sometimes, sometimes not. Um, and we would, it was, it was so much fun because Christmas in New York is super fun. But, uh, often, you know, since that was the situation, I would volunteer to work Christmas Eve, you know, and usually we would close Christmas day or open later Christmas day. I'd take Christmas Day off, you know, hang out with, like, Tito and Laurie and Dick, Porter. Um, but usually I'd work Christmas Eve. Uh, did several in a row. And one night, and the reason this came up is one of our regulars, Miranda, was up there. And Jeremy, Jeremy Manta was a manager of another bar in the neighborhood. Anyway, she ran into him, and he was like, I'm telling Miranda. He texted me. He's like, I'm telling Miranda the story of the Christmas miracle. So <laughs> we were sitting there. Uh, it was totally quiet. It was a cold, ice-cold, snowy Christmas Eve. And I put my brother in, tried to let my brother bartend, you know, and I was drinking rumplements. And uh, and Jeremy showed up. He had she closed down his bar. And it was just the three of us sitting there. And it was was dead for hours, you know. Mm. It really didn't seem like anybody was going to come in that night. And, uh, like, we were still having fun, but it was kind of a a low-key kind of fun 
Fair we enough. we played a lot of pogues. You know, we played Fairy Tale in New York, and we all like quietly cried without the other person, you know, seeing and uh, stiff upper lip. Yeah, you know, that kind of that kind of Irish Christmas, you know, in the bar in New York City. Yeah. Uh, at one point, I stepped outside to smoke, and this is like right when like this, you know, in that weird like long dusk that happens in the winter. You know, it's probably six p.m. But like the sun's it's about to get real dark and real cold. Uh huh. And way down the street, towards Washington Square Park, you know, I light my cigarette. I just hear this woman's voice yell, "Schaefer!" <laughs> and these women came marching in, like twelve beautiful women dressed in black cocktail dresses, come marching up. And it was this gal from across the street who apparently she was kind of new. She had and she had moved into one of the apartments there, and. Her, she was from like a Jersey Irish family uh, on the wealthier side or Connecticut Irish family on the wealthier side, whatever. Uh, And they had a tradition like every Christmas Eve, like all the men in their family go hunting and all the women go into Manhattan and they go to church. They get all dressed up and they go to church and then they go out and party after they go to church. Mm. So... We're sitting there. Oh, we've gone from wonderful tradition. We've, yeah, <laughs> we've gone from zero people in this bar to like Jeremy plugs his his iPhone in and starts just playing like sixties and seventies soul funk, and there are women just dancing on the bar, and it's just the three of us, and uh, and they were I. The funny part was what they were drinking, and this is like how they ordered. Could I get a shot? Could I get a shot of Jameson and a Jameson on the rocks? They were doing shots of Jameson and chasing them with Jameson on the rocks. Solid choice. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to mix your liquors, you know. So, you, you want to have a plan and just stick to it. That's how you avoid a hangover. So that, uh, you know, three three bottles of Jameson, you know, five hundred dollars in sales later. Um. They went on to get ready for Christmas Day. <laughs> My brother like, and Jeremy and I. Like, at what time did they leave? I, you know, like 10 o'clock or something. Okay. Yeah. All right. They had, cu- they had arrived maybe early evening. Yeah. Yeah. They stayed for, I'd say, three or four hours. Wow. And well, that's fantastic. Cut loose. It was so, yeah, we called that the Christmas I miracle. I love the Christmas miracle. <laughs> Indeed. Just out of you guys of, were just crying at the out of the cold darkness, that. just like you know? twelve beautiful women got, dressed to the nines. Holiday yeah. spirit. That, that's so New York, right? <laughs> it's like the magic of New York. Yeah. <sighs> I I I went to my magical place this last weekend. New Orleans. I went to San Francisco. Ah, San Francisco. Wow. Yeah, I lived in San Francisco from. 2000 to 2003 and I sometimes I really regret leaving there of course now when I start down that path of thinking then I think about all the things that have happened to me in the last 20 years yeah they're wonderful and they're wonderful so it's uh, it's really self-indulgent and self-martyring of me to be like oh, I should have, should woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. But man, I went to San Francisco this last weekend for a birthday party and 
saw some old friends, saw some, you know, the, the two and a half years that I lived there was a really intense, beautiful time of my life. And I have a, a just a smattering of friends that we were, well, we were in a band together, Hamotam, half a man or twice a man. Matthew been talking. It's that, that Matthew been talking to the Taliban. It was the side project. <laughs> to Hamotam. And, uh, Matt Honan is a writer, and there's this SF Gate article that he wrote that I, I went and saw my friend Jeff, also in the band. I worked with him on Friday night at his house in Daly City, and he's a collector. First thing he had, like, some art of mine from this time that oh, I had cool. given him, and he had put it out by the, by the dinner table, and then he was showing me all this other art and stuff from people we knew, and... We're friends with this guy, Jebin, who was in this graffiti crew. And like he does this artwork for Outside Lands Festival. He he gets graffiti artists to come and, and like decorate this whole part of this festival. And one time they stayed at Jeff's house and Jeff has all these these pieces that these guys left for him. And then he actually had I I had forgotten about this article, but he actually had copies of the SF gate from 2002 Matt Honan's article. Now Matt Honan has, has gone on to become a really success, successful writer. He worked for wired for many years. He, recently he was the editor. Scott Nettich. He, that's right. He did. He was also the editor in chief of Buzzfeed San Francisco until about a year ago. Now he got a nice, solid position with the MIT Technology Review publication. Uh, pardon my French, but he's a big swinging. He, he's he's a he's famous. You know, he's a he's a he's done well. With he's got it. big writing. He's energy. done well with his creative endeavors. Maybe he'll talk to us on the show sometime. Cool. But he wrote this article about me and Hamotam from this time, and it's it's amazing. What did it say? Like, I mean, I mean you got to remember, like, something, right? I mean, he just basically... Like, the clear, he, the clear starts, voice of the new San Francisco? It starts with, like, Matthew Rampey is an artist and a poet and a, and a street carnival leader and an impresario. And it, it, he sort of centers it around me, which is nice. And I was kind of leading up... Uh, well, we were, we were all in this together. Basically, he breaks down how Hamatan started. And tells a little bit about our couple three uh, shows that we did uh, at at bars and cafes in San Francisco, and how I helped him overcome a fear of of performing. Um, anyway, how did Hammer Jam uh, start? Um, I wish I had the article here with me. I. Uh, it's according to the article. It started at Finnegan's Wake, which is a pub in Coal Valley in San Francisco, at about midnight thirty. Um, I need to. I need to. I I skimmed the article when I was at Jeff's house, but Friday night I saw Jeff, and then on Saturday morning we went out to the Sunset District and saw Matt and Harper Honan, married couple. They were married then. Um, were they part of Hamilton? They were. Yeah. They were part of Hamilton. So this was your roommates, right? Or kind of uh, no? Uh, no, I mean, I know, I knew these people through work. I knew Jeff through work, and then another member of the band was Ezra Fowler, 
who I had met here, he had come from San Francisco to set up this ISDN line at 501 Post. And I was like, hey, man, I'm moving to San Francisco. I, give me, I should look you up. And he was like, yeah, man, call me when you get there. And he gave me his number and I got there and called him. And he was like, honestly, man, I go to a lot of places and people say that kind of stuff all the time. Nobody ever calls me. Yeah. You're the first guy to call. And then he introduced me to... Uh, I don't. Was it's it, great. Was that reminds working? me of Gabby's story about going to Seattle and I, meeting that. I guess girl. he was working at Transmedia, or or maybe he was working at this other place. But then he started working at Transmedia, and he introduced me to them. And then Jeff and I were worked together in the machine room of Transmedia. Like we did the video side of an audio post production house. Cool. But then we all just started partying together, and then we started and Ezra was essentially the only one who knew how to play an instrument mm -hmm. and Jeff was sort of learning and then of, of course I, my role was you know carnival yeah leader band leader yeah yeah, yeah. um and and words Front and man. melodies and and just saying hey we're going to go do this and I'm going to get out I'm going to get out here and dance in front of these people yeah uh and it was just a really amazing time of our lives yeah and it fell apart gloriously just like it had come together uh -huh. like we it, it all just like a classic band story of just egos and and sex drugs and rock and roll yeah. and and it was a it turned into a big mess um and we talked about all that <laughs> you know it, it's 20 years too like 20 years gone and Seeing these people was really a lot of big emotions. Yeah. Um, we, you know, uh, we all feel this same way. It was all such a keystone in our lives. Yeah. That it's, it was really intense seeing them. And I, I had gone to San Francisco in 2018 and also saw them, but I don't know. This, this one was even more like, I, I didn't go to Jeff's house at that time. We just met at a bar and, um, Anyway, it was great seeing them. Then, and then I was also having this feeling about the place. You know, it's not only the people that I was with; it is the place, the the nature, and the city. And you know, they live by the beach. We walked down to the beach. The next day, we got on a ferry. We went over to Larkspur. We went up to Muir Woods. Uh, I just love that area of the world. And so, yeah, I was having some big emotions, man. Um, I I told th them all about one magical hour. Maybe they're listening. Harper said she was listening to episode one forty nine, and nice. I was like, oh, "That's maybe not our best episode." And I told her to try another one before she gives up. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, let um, her know she got it. Let her, let her know she had a shout out. Oh yeah, and I told I I also like I the the robot is actually part of the story, kind of. I gotta tell you. <laughs> um. Well, it's it's I've let it. I've let it die. So we were doing Hamatam and I bought the robot and Ezra was like, we don't need that robot. And I was like, no, nah, man, this is, this is going to be part of the thing. And he was like, he was totally against it. And that, that, I think that was actually the start of mine and his like going our separate really, ways. The robot did it. You hear that robot? It's your fault. Hamatam broke up. There. <laughs> There are listeners out there being like, yep, yep, I knew it was the robot. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me you one know, bit. 
this anti-robot sentiment. I, I don't know. You, you guys know we're living in a new time where we really don't slander anybody, really. Yeah, especially Res- not... Respect all... Nice little robot that never hurt anyone. All sentient beings are worthy in 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 the modern times. Get, get Just get with the times, man. Quit, quit talking bad about robots. Yeah, quit. Don't be stupid. Don't be such a... I, I thought that we were going to do something special for episode 150. Oh, wait. Let me just finish it up. I love San Francisco. I love you, Matt, Harper, Jeff. Hope you're listening. And uh, I love that story. I, I hope that I told it with some... We need to come back and do the full behind the music on Hamilton. Well, Jeff has all this footage and recordings, and yeah. so... The concept of a Hammertam documentary is is entirely possible. You stole my heart. Um, I think that the music and the performance is really just so ragged that I don't know if anybody wants to hear it. <laughs> but maybe it would be kind of like tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. That we were so like... I mean, for a minute there, like that was our plan. We were going to be rock stars, you yeah. know? And for us to talk about it 20 years later is... Maybe kind of funny. <laughs> Definitely is. Do you hear me workshopping me? this, Saunders? Uh, you know, Jameson and I made a movie together, right? It was about our time in Brooklyn. You mean Let's Sleep Here? Let's Sleep Here. Yes. And, you know, like, those that footage is all, Mark Riley's got it. He just has to do what a final edit, and then that movie can come out. That movie is my number one on my wish list of uh, of shuttered projects that I hope see the light of day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we're getting on, you know, we made the movie 10 years after we conceived of it. And then, and now like, and you're only like, y'all shot that. Now in it's like another two thousand years, six or seven. Yeah, because I was in New York at the time. So I made the movie about five years after we conceived of it, and and then it's about uh, about fifteen years time on. I guess maybe at the twenty year mark, that's when we'll be like, Mark, you have to do this, or we're going to send it out to our friends out in LA. And my gonna... my concern is that Mark has it on. A format that, <laughs> yeah, that might disappear. Because I was talking to Jeff about that, and I was like, "What?" Well, you know, he's like, "I've got all those tapes," and I was like, "What are they on?" And he's yeah. like, oh, "Mini DV," and I'm like, "Uh, where?" <laughs> I'm sure That's we so can funny. still find a mini DV to, uh, uh, yeah. How do you get that in your hard drive now? It's doable. Listen, yeah. Jeff. Do- Jeff still does that stuff for like advertising agencies. He's completely capable okay. of that. So. Anyway, Hamotam documentary coming up. One irritating thing about Hamotam is that I did not come up with the name. Ezra and Jeff did. And I didn't fight it. But when I would say it to people, they would always say, Hammer Time? <laughs> yeah. And every, San Francisco every time. Hammer, Hammer Time? Base, yeah. No, Hamotam. It's, a, it's an acronym. For what again? Half a man or twice a man. Half a man or twice a man. I get it. It's like I say, I didn't come up with it, but I, I but I, like I, I, I don't it, hate it. I gave my all to it. And listen, I was a, in terms of the breakup of the band, I was, as, I was as much a problem as anybody. Trust me. 
<laughs> I can only imagine what your like you can dickhead twenty eight year old egos who suddenly thought you guys were rock stars must have yeah. I, I can imagine because I've was, been there. It was twenty five or twenty six. So. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, let's move on. We have so much to talk about. I wanted to do one more th- I wanted to say one more thing. Just you were talking about, you know, kind of you know, that late night regret, you know, wondering how things would have been different. Uh, like that's something that every single person in the world experiences, right? Like at least that's the impression that I get. Like I know, like people I looked up look up to, and I would be like, "What could you possibly regret in your life?" Will still say, uh, "You know." I mean, Paul Simon talks about it in one of his songs. You know, regret. he says like, "A bad day is when I lie in bed and think of things that might have been." Yeah. You know, yeah. So like, <laughs> like yeah. everybody. Feels this way. There needs to be like a German word for it, you know, <laughs> like Schadenfreude or whatever. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, regret is the word, right? <laughs> so, but like, even though you know your life is okay, laying in bed at night and thinking about how it might be more okay or something. Or down that path you know? lies madness. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, but uh, if we're not. If you're afraid of madness, you shouldn't be listening to this show. Let me tell you. Yeah, this show is not for you. <laughs> hello to some folks out there. Hello to Lakin. Uh, and hello to Nicholas, uh, who's actually... Is that for real? I was thinking about that today. Yeah. Nicholas, are you... Are you listening to this from he, the... He is, he's not going to hear this for like half he's, a year. Uh, Nicholas is doing it in order. So he's not going to hear it until, well, who knows when he's going to hear this episode. But hello, welcome, congratulations. I mean, if he does one, on a d- if he does one a day, it'll take him almost a half a year. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a Lyft driving story for you. Oh, what's this? Uh, what's this segment called again? Lyft driving stories. Lyft driving stories with Shafi. <laughs> I picked up this guy way up north, uh, like Cedar like Park, Alberta. North. Oh, yeah. And then I and I took him down to like Tijuana, like Slaughter Lane. Mm. Uh, and this was at like four thirty. So um, in the morning, in the in the evening. Okay. It took it took a solid hour, and as soon as this guy gets in this car, he starts talking about himself. And he's got this, like, kind of 80s DJ voice, you know? He's got a nice, well-trained voice. Okay. And so it soon comes out that he's an actor. He's an actor. Uh-huh. And he's been in some stuff. Does like, he know Jameson? No. Did some, you ask him? Somebody else asked that in the middle of my story. <laughs> sorry. When I was sorry, telling this. sorry. Sorry. No, he doesn't. Uh, or, actually, I don't think I asked, so maybe. But it didn't sound like he crossed. His big thing was... And I think it's like twenty years back now. He uh, he toured with National Theater doing Romeo and Juliet. Um, okay. So whatever. I don't know what role he played, but but he did Romeo and Juliet with the National Theater on tour. So that's cool. Okay. Anyway, and and the way he was telling the stories, it seemed like they were legit. Uh, but and so and like I say, just talking about himself constantly. 
like quickly comes out that he's got a trust fund from some West Texas oil money, you know, but one of those, like <laughs> one of those trust funds, that's just enough to ensure that you're always out of money. And you're like, you're, wow. you're, you're, it makes you like kind of more of a total piece of shit, you know, cause, uh, cause you can't manage the, like I speak of this being one of the, you know, being the kind of person who can't manage money at all. So I get it. If I had a trust fund, it would, you know, I would be broke 28 days out of the month. I promise you. Oh, I see. I see. Um, but that's like, so that's how this guy is. He's been in and out of rehab. He starts talking about, like, he's trying to just brag about his shows. He figures out that I've done some theater. So he's trying to brag about his shows. He was trying to remember, he was like, in nine, 1993, I did a show at the theater down in the south. He was like, I was, I was between, you know, touring jobs. So I came home. His mom has lived here his whole life. So whenever he's out of money, he comes back and stays in Austin. And uh, and he was like, I'm back. He was like, and then, and, you know, my mom was the, was friends with the principal of a local high school. He was like, and, and the teacher, the theater teacher died suddenly. So they like needed, they were desperate for a theater teacher on short notice. So my mom put me up for the job. They were like, yeah, come on in and do it. And just like, I never taught before. It's like I was totally unqualified, you know, except for the fact that, you know, I'm an actor or whatever. But uh, he was 28 years old at this point. And he uh, he got the job. And at the same time, he was doing I'm Not Rappaport at this theater in the South. He was trying to remember the name of the theater. And in my head, I'm like, it was probably Live Oak Theater. I know about the Live Oak Theater because when I was at UT Theater Workshop, I sort of dated this girl named Laura Toner, who was local, um, and her dad ran the Live Oak Theater. Okay. Um, and so, he and he says something like, he's like, theater down south, he was like, you know, and then he says something about, like, the art director's daughter, and I was like, are you talking about Laura Toner? Like, I just say it, uh, you know, Kind of out of the blue, and he's like, "How did you know that name?" Wow! I was like, "I was like, <laughs> I you know, I went to, I attended theater, you know, or so." He's like, "I can't believe that!" And I was like, "Yeah." So the theater was Live Oak. He's like, "Live Oak, yes." He's like, "I wouldn't remember that in a hundred years." It's like her dad's name was started with a D, and he's like, "Yes, yes, Dan Turner." You know, he's going. He's like, "Oh, my mind is blown." And then he so he starts telling me about this. This, you know, like shuffling into this job. And he starts indicating to me that there is a dark reason why he did not do that job longer than one year. And, uh, oh, dear. <laughs> and this story like, has taken a I'm turn. Like, I'm not sure I really want to hear all this story. But uh, <laughs> I was like, if you know Laura Turner, I was like, did you have Nicholas Thompson in your class too? Um, and he was like, Holy shit. How do you know that name? He was like, he was like, Nicholas, like, I couldn't have taught that class without him. He was like, he ran that whole class for me. Mm. You know, uh, he was my stage manager. He's like, he knew what to do in the ways that I didn't know what to do. He was basically like my right hand man, you know? And so I like, I was like, Hey Siri, you know, call. No, don't do it right now. 
Um, so hey Siri, ignore me right now. So boom, now we're in the car. The phone's ringing, and then like his voicemail kick. Nicholas's voicemail kicks on. This guy's like, I can't fucking believe this. You know, he's going absolutely nuts. And then and like it beeped, and he he was like, Hey, this is you know Roy, whatever your you know theater teacher from high school. Uh, and so then I, I dropped this guy off and uh, and he was like, can I give you my number? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, no guarantee that he's going to call you just so you realize. But I'll give it to him. Like, and that's what I say because I had like gotten those bad, bad did you, vibes, you, you pass know. Him, did you pass his number to Nicholas? Yeah. So later on I called him and, you know, he was like, I was like, can you believe that? He's like, no, I can't believe that. I was like. I got his number, and he was like, "No way in hell am I calling that." Guy. <laughs> he was like, "So you did, you got the right vibe." Yeah. And yeah, it turned out. Yeah, there was like, apparently, it wasn't actually sex, but there was inappropriate relationships with female students. Okay. And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds." Female students and robots, and you know, like, like. Yeah. Like, he was 28, she was 18, you know. It was just, it was inappropriate. Sure. But, like, it inappropriate, wasn't... but not a crime. Yeah. And, yeah. Maybe even yeah. consensual, but not okay. Yeah. Creepy, but not nasty, or whatever. Okay. Creepy, but not criminal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to put it exactly. But, but Nicholas said the same thing. He was like, okay. yeah. He's like, I'm not sure he really broke the law, but I definitely never want to talk to that guy. Yeah. That's really a liminal space in which to play creepy but not criminal. But one of the most funny one of those funny things that happens to me more often than not in lift cars, it seems. Okay, okay I wanted to dissect this just a little bit. So this guy started talking about himself and <clears throat> Were you steering him in the direction of, uh, like, I just wonder how many times that this guy has gotten into a car and just started talking to himself and hasn't made a connection with somebody. But with you, there actually was a connection, (laughs) but you somehow found it. And maybe he was being, like, especially open because it was you. Uh, You know, I I think... I mean, because he realized that I was in the theater. You were birds of a feather. Yeah. And and it it just led down a path. He was really excited that I lived in New York. And, you know. It seems like. But this guy definitely. This guy keeps an ongoing monologue between himself and the world. Telling the world how great he is. Weird scene, man. Yeah. Wow, that's fun. That's probably my favorite. Shafee's lift story that we've had so far. It was. It was pretty wild. It was, funny. It was almost as good as the Viking with the kidney stone. <laughs> I forgot about him. All right, look, we got some more segments here. Matthew, have you ever wondered... <laughs> uh, have you ever wondered why, the, why we have percent and proof? What's the difference between percent and proof on an alcohol bottle? Well, I know a little bit about this, Shafee. Do you? Because, um, you know, I'm a booze hound. Yeah. I believe that proof percent is half, represented as half of proof. Yeah. 
if it's 40% alcohol, it's 80 proof. But that's weird, right? right? Like, why bother if you have, you know, if it's exactly, why did, why did they feel the need to double it at the beginning to create a second? Is there like a, is there a chemistry reason that this is a thing? Not really. Because it isn't percent like alcohol by volume. Percent is alcohol by volume. Uh-huh. Which So that's standard across the board. It doesn't matter if you're metric or imperial, yeah. you know. ABV. That's just the percent of alcohol in your booze. Uh-huh. Proof, for some reason, is exactly double that, which makes you wonder why bother to have proof and percent, right? <laughs> well, to me, then, proof just exists on a scale of 200. Right. <laughs> is, that, is that right? So, yeah, but why? I don't Why know. wouldn't, you know. Are you going to answer these questions? I am. Oh, good. I thought, <laughs> I, for a minute, I thought we were both just going to sit here and wonder. No. Uh, I have often wondered, so I looked it up. Okay. Let's talk about it. Proof actually started, um, actually started as, in England, as a way of, ta- of course, it all comes back to taxing. Taxing uh-huh. alcohol, of course. Right. And they needed, they, at first they didn't have a good way of finding specific gravity, which is how you establish how much alcohol is. And, uh, cause, because alcohol has a different density than water. water. So that's the way to f- find out how much alcohol is in your, uh, is in your liquor. Floated on water. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a special kind of floaty little thermometer. Oh, thing. oh right. Uh huh. Yeah. I've seen that yeah. with brewing. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. How you find specific gravity. What's that thing called? I don't know. That's for another yow. Yep. Uh, So, but before they had that, the way, it's really funny, the way they found out they, they had this like pellet pellet that was like, I guess mostly gunpowder, but they would soak that pellet and try to ignite it. And if it, if it, it ignited that, that meant that it was, uh, then that meant that it was a high, you know, they didn't really know exactly how much alcohol was in there, but that meant that it was high alcohol. Okay. And then they would tax that differently from one that didn't ignite the pellet. Okay. And like, so that was it. Originally, just like the uh-huh. the difference between. So the if it was high proof, then you got a certain tax, or low proof, mm. below not setting it far. That that was the proof. The of, proof of you know. I see. High alcohol. And, but the, so they didn't, still didn't have numbers at that time. Then, like, they, as they kind of got more, you know, the, the alcohol became more standardized in terms of just what you could drink. Okay. Um, and. Being like, no more mead? Well, no, just like, you know, like a bottle of Everclear versus a bottle of vodka, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Right. So, you know, one of those, you're going to sit and sip and one of them, you're definitely not. You know? Right. Uh, and so that kind of started to standardize. They had kind of a standard. One of them, you're going to throw bottles of baby nays. Amount. <laughs> we'll have to hear that story. We've, we've told uh-huh. that story. It was a reference to some other episode. Uh, and so I, they basically kind of decided that I, at the time, their standard for like, like a bottle of liquor was about 57%. And they set that at a hundred proof. I see. So you could you could go up above that, you could go below it, 
but that was the that was they decided that that would be 100 and that would be the the taxing point so if it's 100 or over you get taxed a certain way if it's below 100 you get it and so eventually they realized that that crossed over with percentage you know so like you know whatever 57% am i saying this right anyway yeah so the conversion ended up being something like 1.75 was uh so it, it, yeah so instead of so you know in our version it's doubled in their version it was 1.75 was the proof so 175 to was was the highest, was the highest. and so it was kind of complicated right to go between proof and alcohol. So around the same time and yet they still put both on the label. Right. And so and so the so around the same time in America, America started to do things different from from England. Thank God. This is like we're in like our eighteen eighties or so. Okay. But they also want to tax liquor, you know, uh in the same way. So they just decide, all right, we're we're gonna we're gonna make this easy. We're gonna make one hundred fifty percent, not fifty seven percent, and that that way, you know, uh, that uh, way the I, conversion will well, be easier. Oh, so it was a little bit of it was sort of arbitrary. Yeah, it's totally arbitrary. Yeah, huh. uh, and it was kind of only even vague. Even the British version was kind of kind of vague, you know. But then Americans were just like, all right, you know, if this is gonna be, you know, <laughs> let's cut the crap. Here's how we're going to do it. That's kind of what Americans yeah. say. And now, and now, of course, we just do ABV. For a second there, did you think I was just saying, let's cut the crap? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, uh, that was a look in your eye. Um, dang. You know what, Shafee? <laughs> I hadn't wondered in that way. 1848 is when you decided. That yeah, we decided that in 1848. Yeah, England changed the system establishing proof in 1816. New system involved scientifically precise measures of density and gravity and set the proof threshold at 57.06 percent alcohol by volume. This measure was standardized in 1952. In UK, 100 proof is about 57 percent, at a ratio of proof to ABB of seven. Four to seven. Well, we love to quantify everything. Right. Probably. But why? Like, I mean, they could, at that point, they could have just said, all right, 57% is where we're going to set the tax. They didn't, they didn't need to keep messing around with proof. When, back when it was, the government would soak a gun pellet with alcohol and try to set fire to the gun barrel. If lit, the alcohol content of the liquor was high enough to, for the gunpowder to ignite, the liquor was deemed to be a proof spirit. As in, there was proof it contained a high amount of alcohol. That's we, something that's bothered me for a long time. It bothers me now more than ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we gotta um, take this thing that you know it's it's so it's such a part of human history, alcohol. It's such a part of American history. I listened to that podcast, The Dollop. Yeah. It's like an American history podcast. And there are so many incidents that are key in America's history, like 
the raid on Harper's Ferry. Guess what? Everyone was shit housed. I mean, like so many things that happened. Everyone was just really drunk. I assume that it has really shaped. Boston Tea Party was probably oh, you got a right biggest field event. Yeah, here, right? yeah. Every almost every endeavor of <laughs> Western culture in North America is just booze-soaked shenanigans. I believe this. Including this podcast. 100%. Yeah. it's a, But it really is amazing if you look at history how many times that like, well, and first they got real drunk and then they went and did this. <laughs> and it changed the course of history. Okay. We've got we've got a segment that really oh wait, it's a we've got a segment that uh, it goes back to really the founding of the podcast. It's Yield Wordshop. Do you know that word? Say it out loud. Is it spelled correctly? Yeah. No, I don't know that word. Lability? Lability. I do not know this word. And I know a lot of the English words. Even some of the Spanish. I uh, I came across let's see here. Lability <clears throat> the factor quality of being likely to change. They noticed something different about him, an emotional ability with flaring anger one time, maudlin sentimentality the next. Is it talking about me? <laughs> yeah, right. Or any of us. Uh, chemistry, biochemistry, the ability or likelihood of substance or compound to change or break down easily, rapidly or continually. Various degrees of lability. Found that the degree of lability varies considerably with the different amidoaldehydes. Um, yeah, that was a new one to me. Really, you're that's it. I, you're sharing a new word that you Yeah, make. I came across that reading, uh, reading, uh, use, it, Neil in, Stevenson use it in a sentence. I just did twice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll listen back. But I, it was, there's, I wanted to find the other, oh, yeah, labile. Oh, labile. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is the that adjective version. It rings more familiar than mobility. L-A-B-I-L-E. Okay. Labile. Labile. <laughs> Did I say labile funny? <laughs> yeah. It's, come, it's because you're from Lubbock. <laughs> what do you know about trepanning, Matthew? <laughs> is that... Um, is that opening a hole in your skull? Yeah. Tre trepanation? We should really get uh, Dr. Grant Hall on the show for this. Let's talk about trepanation? Trepanation. He's very interested in it. It's something yes. that humans have been doing for all of human history, basically. So tell the listeners what that entails. It entails taking a drill and drilling a hole in your skull. Drilling a hole in your skull. And, and, and for what purpose? To let up. Well, <clears throat> mal it depends. Mal humors? Yeah, I think it started out to let out the demons. Oh, sure. And then later on, it was to let out mal humors as, you know, 
as humans became more sciencey. As we kind of got <laughs> into like meteorology yeah. and phrenology <laughs> and, and chiropractic. Release chemicals, whatever. Uh-huh. It makes sense. But just going all the way back, there's uh, there's instances of people trying to drill into their heads, okay. presumably to fix themselves. You know, we've all been there, right? <laughs> I guess. I mean, is that what like going to my shrink is about? Well, yeah, that's a much better way of doing this. Yeah, what they're trying to accomplish, I think. Like um, you're feeling sick in the head. But even you know, if you think about just a headache, huh. if you don't like, if you don't, sometimes there is pressure. Have in your science, cranium, to, right? yeah. But then also, yeah, like any kind of madness, you know, they can all. We have a, I think, you know, I guess because our eyes are in our head, like it, it becomes located in the head very quickly. That's an interesting question. How soon do you think we located ourselves in our brain? Do you know? Well, like when in human history did we realize? There's those Egyptian drawings of the pineal gland, uh-huh. which is the eye of Horus, yeah. which is the seat of the soul. Interesting. So okay. We've yeah. been thinking about that for a while, for sure. So, uh, isn't it wonderful that we live in modern times where we can take these this madness and just record it, and people are like, "Oh, creativity." Do you want to? Okay, so <laughs> I, I definitely heard of trepanning before, but. I was listening to some guys on another podcast talk about it, and I learned a new fact that I found very fascinating, and that's why I put it on the show sheet. Um, trepanning, this is very counterintuitive to me, but did you know that trepanning was much more likely to kill you in the Copper Age, which is later, thousands of years later, than the Stone Age? Or is that because, like, you get metals in your head or something? It's a good guess. It definitely has to do with the tools. No, they think it has to do with... It's because the tools were reusable. Oh. In the Stone Age, you're chipping a brand new flint... Obsidian. Yeah. Blade. To do every job. Mm. Whereas in the Copper Age, you've got that same pile of nasty tools to use over and over again because they don't wear wear out as easily. I see. So there was a lot more spread of infection. That is such a great example of a new technology going totally awry. (laughs) It having, like at the outset, it's like has so much possibility, but then it it totally like it's twisted in time. (laughs) Like the internet. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a good example. Yeah. That really blew my mind. I thought that was very interesting. And, like, it's significant. It's like you were, like, 50% more likely well, or something. And, and now, to on, die on this country. side of figuring that out, that seems obvious. Yeah. We, we yeah. all know why that happened. Yeah. They were sharing microbes. But, yep. Um, but, I mean, we didn't figure that out until after the bubonic plague. It took a you know? long time to figure that out. A surprisingly long time. That's only, that seemed like... Barely over a hundred years that we really understood that. <laughs> yep. Well, maybe maybe that fell in and out a little bit. Yeah. The washing. Right. Yeah. You know, and then it, when you look at it like that in this way that we glorify Western culture, like we like lost some stuff and we're acting like we were in the dark ages when maybe other cultures weren't doing this they were washing themselves you know and and in northern europe because i think as you don't sweat a lot you know 
San Francisco reminded me of this. Like here in Austin, I drink like 96 ounces of water a day minimum. In San Francisco, I wasn't sweating the whole time. My crotch wasn't wet all day. <laughs> and suddenly 32 ounces of water was plenty. Yeah. I really took that conversation off the rails. Oh, no, you're fun, you're fun. In my Everybody head. wants to hear about the crotch sweat of this podcast. <laughs> the last thing on the show sheet is just Terminator uses the phone book. We were watching the Terminator, you know, the original one from the 80s, was on the, at the bar the other day. And it made me laugh so hard when the Terminator he looks up John Connor, who is this cyborg sent back to the back from the future, <laughs> goes to the phone and looks up John John Connor. That, that was his programming, or his was Sarah just to Connor. use. He was just programmed to use the phone book. Because there's not a database. There, no, there was no, there was no way of knowing where John Connor lived from the future. Sure, you can build a robot and send him back, but he—he's got to use the. He's just—he's got to let his fingers do the talking. Is right? Is that how it goes? Yep. Let your fingers do the, yeah. do the walking. Oh, okay. Right. Your mouse that, lost. That was talking. the. That was the tagline of. Yeah. The yellow pages. Yellow pages. Let your fingers do the walking. Phone. You don't have to get out there and hit the pavement and go to every single store. You can call them instead. Think about all the trees we destroyed for the phone book. Uh, yeah. And then you think, <laughs> and then you think, like only point zero 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 one percent of the phone book was being used at any given time. Yeah. Oh god! I used. Did you ever like just like? I think what we've learned today again is that humans are terrible. Did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever just sit and look at the phone book? Oh I man, I love I love the phone book. Look I'd at the go, different names. Oh, for sure, for sure. The names you go, through, you just find names in the phone book, like Rampy. Ha! And interesting statistics. I remember in San Antonio looking, just flipping over. This page is Rodriguez, and this page is Rodriguez, and this page is. That was like just astounding. There was like twenty pages of like they beat out Smith, hands down. Of course, I always sat next to the Ramirez family in, in any kind of uh, testing situation or homeroom. Yeah, yeah. I ended up next to Dusty Fowler. Oh, Dusty Fowler. Okay, well, that worked. That worked out for you. Good. Nice. I love Dusty. Yeah. I miss him. Yeah. We should look him up. Wish we had a phone book. <laughs> uh, let's do the poem because I am starting now. I, I said this to Mountain Harper. They go, what's your podcast about? And I was like, well, we're a poetry podcast yeah, where we sort of BS for about 55 minutes before we read a poem <laughs> and then play a punk tune. You're really sold on this poetry thing. Maybe we should bring it a little more front and center. Or maybe at the first, we should, again, assure people that we're going to read a poem with you. It's an art and entertainment podcast about two men's search for community comfort and comfort in the contemporary world. Is that what you're doing? I'm still doing that one, yeah. Okay. Well, but I mean, that's that's a little... I mean, that's that's a portmanteau. Oh, I, I say it better, happening. but... Okay. Can you text me that? Yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> uh, by I the way, I've, I've been I've been loving your uh, drops at the beginning. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I was <laughs> still just working through that one conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adam recorded forty five minutes, and it's, it's like the drops for ten episodes. <laughs> Thank you. Well done, Adam. You know, we should tell like record your conversations and send them to us. We can. Uh, oh yeah, you want to put a drop in? Yeah, you can uh, record it and then send us an email at preferably feedback, surreptitiously feedback <laughs> at onemagicalhour.com. Somebody rate us on Apple Podcasts. Do all that stuff. Uh, I've, I have established the problem with the. Uh, uh, Website, by the, the way. Website. Was, we have a problem with our website. It was linked to an old card. I mean, put it, I, 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 I put see. It on, I know. see. Right. I suspected that that was the case. But yeah. I've been so busy. The bar has been popping off. That And I've been trying to great. drive more. So I'm just like. It's a busy guy. You, you people are lucky to even get a podcast out there. You know yeah. Don't you forget it. You people and robots. You lovely, lovely people. You lovely, lovely robots. Are you looking for a poem? Oh, yeah, I'm finding a poem. Uh, oh, okay, okay. It'll be a... In my mind, you like always you always have a poem like in a holster. I usually do. In like a... You know those holsters where you sort of just... It's like you're reaching into your... Uh, chest pocket, like your breast pocket on on your. If you're right-handed, you're reaching into your left side breast pocket, and you've got like a stack of poems in there. Some of them are on paper. Some of them are like single-serving, like Nintendo devices, where they like come out and it's like we play po poem one time, and then it's like, and it blows up. You ever seen them? No. Okay. Well, they're new. How exciting. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't hear. I only heard the very no, end no, of that, no, no, so no. It's, it's perfect. It's per that is perfect. Re <laughs> Let's go to the poem, ladies and gentlemen. Schaefer Hall poem correspondent. Schaefer Hall, Miracle Fish by Ada Lamont. I used to pretend to believe in God. Mainly, I liked so much to talk to someone in the dark. Think of how far a voice must have to travel to go beyond the universe. How powerful that voice must be to get there. Once, in a small chapel in, Ch in Chimayo, New Mexico, I knelt in the dirt because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. That was before I learned to harness that upward motion inside of me, before I nested my head in the blood of my body. There was a sign, and it said, This earth is blessed. Do not play in it. But I swear... I will play on this blessed earth until I die. I relied on a miracle fish once in New York to tell me my fortune. That was before I knew it was my body's water that moved it, that the massive ocean inside me was what made the fish swim. Whoa. <laughs> Just like every one of Adam's Ada's poems, I'm bowled over. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've had a major oversight. Uh, we were going to talk about 
this article, the 150 best albums of the 90s. Oh, right? yeah. We're going to have to just pre-promote that for the next show. And thank God we already have some uh, content for the next program. Yeah. So tune in for episode 151, where Schaefer and I are going to talk about the 150 best albums of the 90s. And each one of us is going to add what we think is the 151st. 151st. I like There's got to be okay. one missing there. I've already got mine. Uh, and if you're listening out there, Brian, uh, get at us. You add us, add us your, and actually any listener, please do this. Look at Pitchfork's 150 best albums of the 90s, and add add your favorite that's not on there. Oh, and then get, get and then get at us at feedback at onemagicalhour.com or text us because most of you know our phone numbers. But and then we can. We can add your commentary to the program. Send, and then it, to, like, send it to shaferhall at gmail.com because who knows when I'm going to get them. That's a good point. And, oh, oh, it's because the, the email is tied, tied up yeah. to the website. Yeah. Shaferhall at gmail.com. And we love you. And we are certain that the poorer the choices, the sweeter the wine.